Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Welcome to the pod, guys. In recent months, it's been an honor to interview some brand CEOs, and we hope you've enjoyed the content that we've produced you know, regarding them. Today, we are very happy to welcome another CEO of a brand that has recently come to the fore, although I heard about it a while ago, but it's really come more into the public domain and garnered much deserved attention. Um, it's Chapek, and today we have Xavier de Rock Morel. So welcome to the show, Xavier. Thank you. You you passed already the first uh, the first exam, which was to say my name properly, and you did perfect. Like it's a nine out of ten. It's uh, brilliant. Well, well, you know, I don't like to brag, but I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. I know that. You like uh, you like to practice and to be ready. That's right. So if you're ready, we're going to start the uh, interview. So I'd like yes, to start by saying. You know, when I was researching this um, this podcast, I realized that you spent quite a considerable time at Ebel. Um, but prior to that, although you were in luxury brands, you were you know more on the fashion side with uh, Xenia um, and other some other brands. You know, what made you go into watches? Actually, it's I started uh, before luxury brands with uh, much more uh, humble products. Uh, so before that, I was in cosmetics, perfume, and makeup, yep. working for for Maybelline and Germain in, uh, inside the L'Oréal Group. And even before that, I was working at Mars, you know, selling Mars bars and and uh, and uh, ice cream bars. And <laughs> the idea, if you try to draw a red line in between this, is that uh, I've been going through a ladder of emotions. So. Uh, the basic emotion was a chocolate when we were kids. Then uh, looking beautiful was the next one. And then getting dressed properly, having beautiful accessories with uh, Loewe uh, was fantastic. Uh, and then beautiful uh, clothing with, with Xenia was also uh, uh, the following step. And after that, I was, you know, I was living in Switzerland and I felt um, I had to change my time at Xenia was getting to an end. And I was thinking, you know, I, I love watches. I'm not an expert, but I love them. And maybe that's the direction to go. And that's how I jumped to Abel, uh, where I didn't stay that long, actually. Uh, but I participated to uh, the, the trial of the false awakening of, of Abel, which, uh, which is a difficult brand, as any brand who, is, who has been going in many directions and lost the north has a hard time uh, finding back uh, the Silk Road. Uh, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit like this. That it's, uh, it's a way to understand brands. No, they have a destination, and it's a journey that is never ending. But if they lose track of where they are going, they really suffer a lot. And uh, this is what happened to to Ebel. So after that, I was unemployed, and you know when you get unemployed, you sometimes have the chance to uh, restart, reset and uh, do something uh, unexpected. And that's the story of, of Chapek. Mm. I actually so, have a question really quickly. Yeah, go for it. 
Um, because you're not the first person I met in the watch industry that went from fashion and then into watches. And I always thought, is there anything from working in fashion that you can actually use in watches or find very useful? Because I feel like with fashion, like every season, you can just go off into a completely different direction and no one can say anything. But with watches, you kind of have to stick to a very tight DNA and, you know, have a certain mm. kind of language that you need to follow. Mm. It's even more like, uh, you know, the horses uh, yeah. that are uh, the blinkers. Uh, a horse car. They cannot mm. see on the right and on the left. This is, this is what I'm confronted to. So uh, the fact that I was not from the industry uh, was an advantage for me. You know, it's like, the, what is the advantage of a, of a startup compared to a big company or an existing company is only the white piece of paper on which is going to drive to, uh, to design his roadmap, its roadmap. No? Here is the same. Because I was not coming from there, I was saying, no, why, don't, why don't we do that? And people were most of the time saying, but we never did it. Yeah, okay. But that's not a reason for not doing it. Maybe we should try. And that's how at the beginning, you know, we were doing uh, uh, personalized watches in three weeks. Mm -hmm. And shipping was the last week, the fourth week. Because at Xenia, we were, we were doing the, the Sumizura, the made-to-measure mm -hmm. suits, in four weeks, including shipment. So I knew a man was really loving that kind of rhythm. And I said, okay, let's try to do the same. And let's organize our production process around that idea like they did in Xenia. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so you, it was interesting because every time you change uh, an industry, you have to restart from scratch, which is extremely difficult. You have to build a new network, a new knowledge, new methodologies. But then what I realized by joining the watchmaking industry is that all these steps, including the Mars one, had prepared me mm -hmm. to, to make watches and to work and to shake uh, the industry in a certain way, in a number of ways, in a limited manner, but in a certain way. So yes, that was, that was helpful. And if we go precisely to fashion, the openness about design, the play with colors, these are typically two things that you would, uh, that you would, that you would uh, use very well into watchmaking. Mm. Mm. So if we go back and look at your career pathway where you started off in a confectionery industry, which is Mars bars, I, I personally think if Long Long had started there, she, she, she wouldn't have, have left. There. Yeah. yeah, she would have stayed there. She'd probably be like some director by now. She'd probably be another like at least 30 kgs more, but you know, nobody would care. Um, but you know, when you say you look back and you realize a lot of that experience was valuable. Is there, are there, is, I know it's a difficult question to answer, but are there any specifics you can point out, let's say at Mars or, or Xenia and, you know, which kind of, um, yeah, what did you learn that you apply now? That's my first question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I was, so I did Mars, L'Oreal, uh, Loewe for the men's accessories uh, and Xenia and then Ibel and, and Chapek. So I would say at Mars, it was really to be structured. Structured in the way you define the objective, the next steps. You you have to put a, a, a big plan into only one page. So it really how to structure your ideas. At L'Oréal, it was a creative chaos. Uh, 
they, 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 there is a lot of creativity inside the L'Oreal team and a lot of freedom. And so you can dream of whatever and then do it, you know? So that was, uh, that was interesting also. And it was a first step inside beauty, which was my, my third very probably learning when I was working at Loewe, which was to try to understand beauty from a more scientific angle than just the narrow-minded uh, view, which is to say, this is subjective. No, no, it's not subjective. It's not subjective because when something is beautiful, when something is a hit, for many people, there is a reason for that. Mm -hmm. If it was completely subjective, then it would be random. And uh, what I wear today would be uh, fashionable. What you wear today would be fashionable. Everything would be sort of fashionable. No, it's not. And that's why it means that it is emotional and that there is a part of rationality that you can extract. Mm -hmm. And that was really what I learned by testing when I was La Toeve. So going deep into uh, the bet or the proposal of design that a designer is making on every catwalk, there is a red line between the catwalk. And it's fantastic to try to understand the designer by looking at its catwalk. It's like reading a, reading a poem and try to understand what the poet has, has, has meant to say uh, with it. So this catwalk then is going to influence people later. Mm. And this is going to create tomorrow's beauty. And so it's about reading what I call l'air du temps, reading the smell of today, you know, what's happening. And the best place is actually the street of the big cities. This is where you see more things happening and people are dressed in a certain way. And I'm sure that in Shanghai today is influenced by what has been the recent past and that the new fashion is going to appear in a year. Mm -hmm. just because yeah, of what happened yeah. in the last three years <laughs> and that will be and you will see how much all this that is happening around us is influencing us and this is what uh, I really started to learn at, at Loewe and when I went to, to Xenia it was really a way to learn how you can apply certain methodologies to get to the next level okay and also uh, um, even more sh a sharper sense of luxury that was also an element, and a lot of and some friendships uh, with great guys that uh, I will always keep in mind uh, because it was a uh, uh, great uh, encounters. Uh, so that's you know that's my learning into uh, uh, into 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 watchmaking. When I joined Abel, I went a bit into watchmaking, and I realized I knew really nothing. I didn't say that Abel is is uh, is uh, uh, delivering very high level. The movement, the opposite. But then that was for me the start of going deep into watches and understanding what was behind the watches, learning, 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 learning. And this is this process of learning is uh, probably what has been uh, um, my best mate during my career. Mm. Yeah. And when you change industry, you're forced to learn. Mm. And that's that was is what is good about changing industry. Yeah, that actually leads on to my second question, leading from what you previously answered, which was like, why did you progress that way? Did you just find you didn't want to stay in that industry? And so you thought, I'm going to change. And you keep changing until you find what you like. 
because Chapek, which we're going to get onto, is a company that you, you know you're a founder of that, but you started it quite like I would say late in your career. You know, like so, what was the mentality behind how you planned out your um, career pathway? Considering you, you know, your your answer was like mm. at Mars, everything was structured. You know, it doesn't seem like you necessarily took that into your career pathway. <laughs> Correct. Well, um, so we have to jump a little bit even younger or even uh, uh, more years before. And when I was 14, one four, I, um, I discovered on TV and uh, in videos and in, in, in cines a new sport uh, that was called uh, snow surf. It was before the name snowboard was coined. And uh, I found that fantastic. I was skiing in the Alps every weekend. And I, I was looking these guys at these guys on boards. I was like, this is so cool. This is like skateboard, but on snow. It's so cool. Let's do it. It was not existing. So you would not know one snowboarder. No. So we started to do that with friends in the garage, you know, to uh, buy the special uh, glue that is uh, heralded special boards, make them have the right shape, cut them, and then try to try to snowboard during the weekends <laughs> on the powder snow, no? And every time, and then we were starting to meet, you know, one or another guy that was also snowboarding. So we were stopping like the guys were driving for the first time. And I even went to the point that some of my uh, schoolmates asked me to make a board for them. And I found that process fantastic. I found the idea of having someone asking you to make a product that is going to be unique mm -hmm. with a certain interest, with a certain passion for that product. That was fantastic. So when I was young, I was already dreaming of making my own company. The only thing is that I, uh, I tried to be a good soldier going to big companies thinking I'm going to learn a lot. And when it will be time to, I will become a, an entrepreneur maybe. But the thing is that I think this is a bit incompatible. When you're an entrepreneur, you're not a good soldier. You're, <laughs> it's like asking, you know, a commando guy to become a good soldier of the second row. No, the commando guy, he needs to go to the jungle. You know, he's, he's not happy if he's not in the jungle. So it's the same here. You know, I, I needed to have, um, uh, to, to have this excitement. And I've led these companies either because I was bored and it was not exciting or because people were finding me too disturbing to, <laughs> to stay there, you know? So uh, I, I was good only when there was a, a major crisis, then, okay, people were loving me. But the rest of the time, I was a bit disturbing. So, yeah, it sounds a bit like so, me. Uh, so that was, not a, that was a career of crisis. You know, so not necessarily the best thing. But um, when I found myself becoming an entrepreneur, I felt really at ease. And I wow. felt... Everything that I learned is taking place. There was a lot of, maybe a lot of frustration and resentment accumulated also. And, uh, and I used that as an energy uh, because there were so many things I couldn't do uh, in big companies. And that was really uh, the pleasure inside Chapek, which is to, to be here and to, to do things by yourself. And it's still the same. Even if today we are 15, everyone is having a huge autonomy and capability to decide I'm going to do this or that, and I'm going to move things this way. So mm -hmm. this is this, uh, 
this spirit where you are low-key, you're just, you're judged by the, the quality of the output. And so mm-hmm. you can judge yourself every day and challenge yourself every day and improve every day. Okay. So, you know, you, you highlight so many good aspects of being an entrepreneur. Now, in hindsight, do you wish you had done it earlier and made that oh. jump into entrepreneurship? No. No. Okay. No, it was good. It was good to make that reset. Being unemployed was a, a terrible step for me. Very, very painful. I've got five kids. Uh, when you're a dad of five kids and you're unemployed, you it's tough. But that was my my preparation for the next challenge. So yeah, everything came together like a, like a, like a Lego game. Okay. okay. So one brick okay. was needed to go to the next uh, to the next one. Okay. Before we get on to going full into Chapek, I do actually want to ask you this question that we've asked previous um, CEOs from other brands, um, which is I'd like your take. It's quite a difficult question I personally think to answer. Your take on what is luxury to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how would you define luxury? So luxury is a, is a certain mindset and is a very precise uh, material definition. It's a mindset that makes you look at overpassing yourself into the execution of a special craft. Okay, but you have to you have to judge by looking at the craft. You have to judge by looking at the object and say, is this really the level I want to achieve? It's over. Luxury is about overpassing what you can see around you to do something much higher, much better, much more difficult. And luxury is linked to one thing, to the end, to the end of, of, of human people. This is what is very important. This is really, okay, we have to use machines to get things done, but behind the machine, there are a pair of hands and there is someone that is technically extremely good at that. And behind a product, there is also a designer that is going to design with his hands, also with a computer. But this is really, for me, this is um, the attempt of human beings to become a bit like God, to create something that is nearly perfect. Nearly, because we are not God. So we, we have to, we are imperfect. You're saving but, yourself. But, but, but we, we have to try, you know? And, and that's the best adventure you can have on life, you know? To try to reach that point. I have a question that's kind of linked to the way you define luxury and you having worked in the fashion industry, how do you, well, what do you feel about brands like um, Balenciaga now? Like they are creating these shoes, which are basically like Crocs, right? With fur on it. And they get away with anything like a towel. Like you wear a towel and go out or you wear pajamas and you go out. Like how can a brand like this um, still fall into the luxury category and get away with it? And for people to continue feeling like, this is a brand that's like here to stay. I, I just, for me, I don't understand it. So, so who defines a brand is not the designer, is not the CEO. Who defines the brand is a client. 
This is the person that defines a brand. That's mm-hmm. a person who is going to, to save money, to sacrifice on other goods that maybe he or she would love to buy too, to buy that product. This is a, the mechanism behind luxury. Is the mechanism behind luxury is, is a sacrifice. And that's why a luxury brand is never being defined by a designer, by a craftsman, or by or by a, a CEO. It's always defined by the client who accepts to do it, to, to buy it. Now, if a designer is doing something crazy one day because it fits its concept of a cat inside a catwalk, and this craziness fits the brand, fantastic, great. If it doesn't fit the brand, no client will care about it. They will just say, you know what? Do your stupid things on your, in your, on your tag catwalk. This is not Balenciaga. I know what Balenciaga is and I'm going to do it and I'm going to buy what I want to buy there mm. because I'm always free to buy and by expressing that freedom, I reinforce or I, or I, I weaken the brand image. Okay, so this is, this is what also is happening. And when I was working at, at Loewe, I had the chance to see um, to see the result of a preceding designer, I won't say the name, mm. who had tried to project his own ego mm. inside the brand. And of course, that was not working. And that this has not do an arm to the brand, except the money spent stupidly that could have been spent on something that was favorable to the brand. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, you want to you wanna look beautiful, okay? Imagine that you have a, a certain budget for a Saturday night on makeup and on uh, hairdressing, and you cut half of that budget to do something else. Well, you're not, he's not going to be the same. You know? mm-hmm. So this is what I noticed. And at the same time, Delphine Arnaud, the daughter of Bernard Arnaud, came in with a team, not at the same time, actually, like three years later, uh, came in with a team to, to uh, awaken the brand. And they, they were very strong, very, very, very strong. They came with a lot of ideas. Some were good, some were not fitting the brand. Uh, mm. but, that, but that was all interesting because it was all creative. And it was genuinely creative, not a mm. copy of anything. And what was very interesting was to see the reaction of, this, of the clients inside the shop. When there was, so the people inside the shop, they were, not, they were too afraid to mm. show the new pieces because it was too new for them. So they were like hiding them, you know, or putting just a, a side of the shop, uh, mm-hmm. a small part of the, of the uh, shelf with the new bags and all the rest of the shelf was with the old bags, you know. And the clients were saying, well, we don't want to see any more of these old bags. They look old. Mm-hmm. We're not old, we're young, because we're always young mm-hmm. in our mind, you know. So um, that was interesting to see that the client was much faster to adopt and, mm-hmm. and loyal clients to adopt the good designs. It was immediate. Mm-hmm. So out of the, I think they, they launched seven, seven lines of bags. Mm-hmm. I think three were hits mm-hmm. and these three were adopted in a day, you know. There was, mm-hmm. there was no question, it was, it was mm-hmm. immediate. So mm-hmm. 
this is, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a complex way to answer your question, mm -hmm. but it's a difficult answer. And yeah. we have to check uh, with the brand identity and a lot of things mm -hmm. to see if these uh, crocs with fur are fitting or not fitting. Yeah. But this is a framework I would use in analyzing it. Mm. Okay. Interesting. So yeah. I think like my understanding of your answer is that at the end of the day, it's the consumer who spends the money that actually defines who, what, what actually that brand becomes associated as. Because if they don't spend their money, whatever you created doesn't really have a chance to take and get exactly. incorporated into the brand identity. Exactly. Right? Okay. Exactly. And products... obviously, if it's a short and fast thing, that's more likely not to get incorporated. While things with longevity and have time to build and actually are successful over a sustained time, then manage to become part of that brand DNA. Is that yeah. right? Imagine a brand like a tree, like a tree that makes fruits, like a, like an apple tree. Okay. And you as a CEO, you are a gardener. Nobody takes a picture of the gardener, by the way. So CEOs should refrain from trying to be on the front page. Uh, and, and so your tree needs water. And water is going to be the finance that you put in, into it at the beginning. And at the very beginning, nothing happened. You know, you've put the seed into the ground, into the ground, and there is nothing. And you water it not too much, a little bit, and you wait and you wait. And that's a startup phase, you know. And then the, you can even put other 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 uh, um, trees around it to create some shadow and help it. That's how you grow cacao and banana. You know, you need banana trees to protect the cacao trees when you when you grow them. So you can have different brand in a group. And they can help each other, okay? But then in the end, really, it's how much you're going to cut it, cut that when it's going to grow, how much you're going you're gonna, to uh, take care of it that will make the difference. But there is one thing that you do not control. That's the sun. And the sun is the client. Mm -hmm. What you can see is the fruit of your tree. And, and that's the product. Mm -hmm. So you see, it's a, it's a sort of a metaphor to understand brands from a different mm -hmm. angles. Angle. That was a that was a great yeah. yeah a great way to describe it. And uh, I mean, I, I feel like I could talk to you about everything, but but watches right? yeah, yeah. But we and do life. need to get onto traffic now. Like, so could you tell me, like, from um, when you made got redundant, how did the opportunity with Chapek transpire? Oh, I was networking. I was networking a lot. To, uh, to try to find new projects. And uh, I was helping into a, a jazz festival as a, as a volunteer, as a benevolent. And, uh, and I met a friend uh, who is working at, uh, at AP in charge of, of events. And, uh, and we speak again and, uh, and he says, oh, you're still looking for a job. I know a guy who has a, a very interesting uh, project. You should meet him. Doesn't have a job for you. But the project is nice. And that's how I met Harry. And Harry talked to me about Chapek. And I told Harry, look, this is autorologerie. And you and me are not watchmakers. We need a good watchmaker to take care of that. I know when I met him on a, on a salon, on a fair, like, like the Shanghai Watch Festival, he was a watchmaker working for another brand and showing beautiful uh, tourbillon being assembled. And, uh, and uh, so I kept in touch with him and I told him, 
join us on the next meeting. I think something big is cooking. I don't know yet what, but, uh, but I think there is an opportunity. And then we sat together and Harry told us, you know, look, the reality is that I own the brand. I created it with a friend of my dad who passed away. And I'm now looking for my partners to really relaunch it. So there is nothing apart from a few prototypes that are not relevant for the brand. Uh, let's try to let's try to relaunch Chapek, and that's and we defined you know the strategy in two meetings without realizing that it was a strategy. We said we want to be true to Chapek. We want to be not dependent on a billionaire. Mm -hmm. So we prefer to be independent, and we've got this spirit of independence very deeply rooted to our mindset. And third, because we are going to be crowdfunded, uh, because it was a solution of being independent, then we should start at the bottom and raise the bar with different collections. So that's why we started with a seven-day manual wind uh, watch, because it was a simple autology watch. It's a very classic approach when you have a manual wind you should always have a seven day because it's nice, you know, on the break day, whether yeah, it's yeah. Friday, uh, yeah. if you are Muslim living in, in, in the Middle or, uh, Orient, or if you are a Westerner or, or Asian, you use a Sunday as a reference. You, it's nice to have the, the week, uh, the day of the week to, to be a, a good reference for winding your watch. Okay. So, as an independent brand, like, you know, Chapek, maybe you should actually go and explain because maybe some people don't know who Chapek was. So can you explain who Chapek was? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So he was a Czech-born Polish watchmaker. So Czech Republic was not existing. It was called Kingdom of Bohemia. Okay. And this kingdom was belonging to a, um, an empire, which was the Austrian Empire. But he moved to the next country uh, that was Poland and that suddenly become invaded from different uh, parts, from the Prussians, <laughs> from the Austrians, but yeah. mainly from the Russians. So mm -hmm. history repeats, you know. So the Russians came into, into Poland, invaded uh, Warsaw, uh, uh, which was the capital, and he fought against uh, the Russians and as all the people involved into this, uh, this battle that was a defeat for the Polish, he had to flee away at the end of this, uh, this uh, battle war that was called the Varsavianka. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, he went to, directly to Geneva and registered there as a watchmaker. So that's the first uh, uh, identified registration of Chapek inside Switzerland. It's 1832. When he registers at the at the police of the of the foreigners, police police of the population, where you have to register yourself when you go into the country, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he met he met Patek a little bit later, in eighteen thirty six, and Patek was an officer of the of the um, Antoine Norbert de Patek huh, was an officer of the uh, 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 Polish army, had gone to the north of France, and went to Geneva a bit after, and. And Chapek had, had created a company uh, with a local name Moro, uh, but they were lacking funds. 
So they most likely were working for other watchmakers uh, as independent. So probably making restoration, repairs, or production. But then with the help of Antoine Norbert de Patek, they suddenly could access to a real founding, to a real uh, capital. And uh, with this capital, they were able to start uh, producing their own watches. And that was an immediate success. It was a success because the people who were involved in the battle against the Russians were the richer people of, of Warsaw. And these were the people that started to create the Polish diaspora around the world. So there is, there is a Chinese diaspora. Everybody uh, knows it in, in Asia. But for Europe and the America, there is a Polish diaspora of people who have had to, to really run away from Poland after being in, invaded so many times. It's been in, invaded various times. You know, Poland mm -hmm. is a relatively flat country, so people are coming in too easily. There is no wall or no mountains. Um, so um, the, the Polish people were the first customers of uh, the company that was then called Patek Chapek and Company. And then after six years, which was the end of the contract that Patek and Chapek and Moro signed together, the people, they, they, they all three parted away. They all three uh, went for their own business. So Patek uh, created the company that was going to bear his name and Chapek created Chapek and Company. And that's how Chapek and Company was born. And it was born with a new partner called Gruzewski, who uh, put enough money in the company to finance the startup and finance the first watches to be made. Then, because Gruzewski was connected, uh, they suddenly could get access to the uh, emperor of the French, uh, Napoleon III. And uh, from that, they became a coveted uh, timepiece for the, the crown heads of Europe, uh, of continental Europe. And, um, and then um, the, uh, they could even open a store in Place Vendôme. And this store, according to the research we made on uh, an history in watchmaking, was the first store selling watches in uh, Place Vendôme. So it's a milestone, wow. really. So he was really a very important watchmaker of the 19th century. Then he disappears in the 19th, in the 1870s, sorry. Uh, it's the Commune in Paris, which is a sort of a second revolution in France, located only in Paris. But that was a bloody revolution, terrible. And, and after that, it was a restart for many businesses. But but the uh, Chapek business was, uh, was uh, closed then, and we lose his trace after that. We don't know what happens to him. Okay. He probably so, went, he probably went uh, to Poland, and, that's, and one day we'll get the whole story. Okay. So, like, if you look at independent brands, yeah, like you've got brands like Erwerk, uh, MBNF, um, Debuthune, you know, many, many brands that don't actually have that story, that don't have that history, you know? Do you think like you needed a brand with that history, you know, or is it just because Harry happened to own this brand that you thought we're gonna we use this name? I know you're not gonna say yes to that, but no. I mean, like- well, I'm going to- like, Do you know what I mean? Like, is it a prerequisite that at this level of Hort Horology, the heritage side, plays a part in the value. You, 
you should look at watchmaking not from the angle of the last five to ten years, okay. but uh, as a broader angle. And I had that question in uh, I think in '98 in Dubai, um, and that was a question from a journalist. And we counted together, you know, out of all the small autologerie brands, how many were created from scratch, and how many were coming from an heritage. Because if you look at, at relatively larger brands, the majority of them have gone through a moment of stopping the business and restarting with a new owner. Mm -hmm. So it's very common, and a lot of today's brand are brands with heritage, and this heritage has been con uh, continued by different owners over time. For the small independents, it's about 50-50. There is slightly more new brands created from scratch than old brands. But there are not so many interesting old brands like, like Japek. So what I think is that at the beginning of the, of the startup and of the brand story, it's easier to start with a new name because you don't have any obligations. You do, mm. you, do, you do whatever you think is right, you know? You don't have to, to see the seed from Tepec. You can see yeah. your own seed. You don't, you cannot care. You want to make, you, you make a triangular watch, you can make a triangular watch. Do whatever you think is right. When suddenly you have to be the heritage, to respect your heritage, then you have to inspire yourself from, from Tepec. And this is where we got a lot of inspiration because the guy was... Uh, fantastic at creating watches. He was a watch creator. He was not an engineer. He was using most of the time existing movements made by Vacheron. He bought. He was a client from from Vacheron for his movements, or or for uh, uh, or from different sources, and and it was uh, he was using the ebauche as we said. That most of the watchmakers at that time were doing that. Very few companies were making ebauche were making the movement. No? He was using them and creating beautiful watches out of these movements. And these watches have a design language. And what we have tried in the beginning of uh, restarting Chapek was to understand that language. What happens is that when you do a proper work, respecting the identity, the personality, the style of the uh, Spiritus Rector, the original founder, then Clients catch it because people research too. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're making an authentic work of refinding the spirits of your founder. And this is what helps you in the second stage. At the very beginning, it's more difficult because you have to explain to people who is Tapek, what was his style, why you're doing this this way, etc., etc. But then once you start getting some attention, the acceleration is stronger. Okay. I have a question about um, how, from listening to the way you describe this starting this business and your other various projects you have worked on in the past, right? You seem to understand uh, like just human psychology and how people think and you just understand marketing and everything really well. So do you ever feel tempted to, for lack of a better word, like replicate 
this model, but then say um, our new strategy is now targeting people aged between this and this and with this kind of spending power and then just start a completely new brand when no and no one knows you're running it but then just maybe support an up-and-coming watchmaker that no one has heard of hello i'm too busy with chapek to yeah actually uh, have the time to think about i had sometimes some ideas Mm -hmm. uh but I'm too busy with Chapek, so I'm really fine uh, uh, focusing on it. Our approach with Chapek is there is a dimension of psychology, you're right. Mm-hmm. And psychology, you can use it for evil or for good. And we, we try to use it for good. That's really uh, the essence of our work. When we uh, imagine a new watch, we imagine that Chapek, you know, we are three around the table, no? Well, right now, if we were seated together at the same table, we would put a false chair for François Chapek, and we would imagine that he's young. That is, he has the average age of us, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so between uh, 35 and, and 53. And that's what we would imagine, okay? Mm-hmm. And we would try to, and we would maybe tell him, you know, people today, they want a sport watch, but they don't want to lose the spirit of autologerie. How can you make a watch that does this, you know? Mm-hmm. And and we try to answer for him, okay? So mm-hmm. we, we try to always get back to what he would like to do at that stage. At the very beginning, we were really close to the original models, mm-hmm. really inspiring ourselves from, from the, I would say, design codes, taking the design codes very clearly. Mm-hmm. Then we got more and more freedom to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say, we actually succeeded because we were genuinely trying to understand what Chapek would love to do. Mm. Maybe we did right, maybe we did wrong, but our intent was right. Mm. Our authenticity is in the is in the mindset, is in the way we do things, in our focus, and that's what's uh, helped uh, us making nice designs. Now I've been helping a, a watchmaker. Uh, in the recent past, uh, someone who is absolutely brilliant is one of the five best watchmakers alive today. Um, and he was struggling with marketing. Mm. And, uh, and he's, he's got a daughter in the same class as my youngest son. Okay, wow. His daughter is 12 mm. years old. My son is 11 years old. And there is, there, is a third, there is a third person in the middle uh, that is a very good friend of my son, and his dad is a very good friend of mine. So we were, we were. So I was seeing his dad for for. He needs to get out more. <laughs> and then, and then his dad said to me, "Look, I mean, there is another watchmaker you in the class. You should meet him. I mean, it's not possible." So he organized that we would have beers together and meet and have fun, and we started talking. And at one point, he said, "Look." We're getting screwed by all these marketing agencies. We don't know how to deal with them. And they take advantage of our ingenuity. So what should we do then, there and that? And I I gave the same answers, except that I was a little bit uh, less, uh, let's say, more sharp, you know, even more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he liked it because he's a super great professional. And so I asked asked the board of Chapek and uh, I asked them about the authorization because there could be a conflict of interest mm-hmm. of helping 
that person uh, inside his marketing. Mm. And that this help was two ways. So he would help us on the technical side mm -hmm. and we would help him on the marketing side. Mm -hmm. I would help him on the marketing side. He mm -hmm. would help me mm -hmm. on the technical side mm -hmm. because his level is really extreme, you know? And so we started this game and I was helping a lot on the marketing side. At one mm -hmm. point we said, why don't we do a watch together? And he said, yeah, it would be a great way for, for me to help you. But I said to him, look, with Adrian, uh, who is our designer, we have, we have designed a, uh, a watch that no one has been able to make. Okay, It's very much inspired by the Place Vendôme and the Kedeberg with two subdials at the bottom. But the way Adrian imagined the gear train is so unique that nobody has been able to make it. I show him the design, he said, easy. Okay, <laughs> that's the level of guy. And uh, we started to, uh, to uh, work together and uh, define the thing. And we are going to do the watch and we will release it next year. Oh. And we signed the contract today, exactly an hour and a half ago. Just oh, before we congratulations. So it's like yeah, wow, thing, that's right? a great story yeah. to yeah. uh, share on the podcast. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Yeah. So wow. uh, so we just signed the contract. We had we did already all the development, but mm -hmm. we needed to know where we were in terms of cost and everything, and so that's going on. Mm -hmm. So here you see you can effectively mm -hmm. go on other uh, yeah, open the scope of your perimeter, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and if. And if you give, you can receive. That's mm. probably the first yeah, step to receive is to start by giving. Yeah. So yeah. it's cool. Okay. I just, you know, because this interview is about Chapek and, and the brand, um, like you mentioned about how we would be sitting around a table and when you're thinking about products, you're thinking, how would Chapek do it? You know, what would he, if he was the same age as us, right? How do you know what he would do? So if we talk about like Chapek DNA, like clear and concise, if a consumer comes in, what do you want them to see? What is it? Yeah, but let's come back to Lung Lung. Mm -hmm. Remember what she said, you know? She was speaking about, about a brand and, and then just trying to understand that. Mm -hmm. The way to work is to breathe l'air du temps, is to understand what's happening right now in the streets, okay. what to understand what your, what your mates, what your friends are loving, are trying to get, are looking after. And this is the type of what you should create if you're if you're a watchmaker you you you're not doing an exercise for your own ego no you're doing an exercise which is to make the nicest product for someone else and he is going to be the judge and that's why you're doing a luxury product because you're putting yourself under scrutiny of people who are very educated and trying to show them how beautiful this is so it's not the type of watch will be dictated by l'air du temps. Mm -hmm. And then inside that, the expression of that watch will be dictated by the personality of the spiritus rector, of the, of the initial founder. And so you try to understand how he would work on that complication uh, if he was alive. This is, mm -hmm. And this is my job. That's, okay. you know, that's a, a simple job. So would you say like your Antarctique, you know, in terms of what the public kind of like uh, want now, you know, young, they want that kind of stainless steel sports watch, you know, 
that isn't the Nautilus or Rolex. You know, they're almost dying for another one, you know, that they can wear. Yeah. Is that but the you know, reason for that kind of watch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the guys where well, I was asking them, you know, and I, this started, I think, yeah, after, uh, I think they started drinking uh, the gin and tonic after an event in Madrid in 2017. And uh, the guy who organized the event, he said, look, I got some insider information on what people look after today. Yeah. And he said, you should have a sport watch because 90% of the hits of my encyclopedia of watches are all going after the three same models yeah. from the three same brands that you know. Uh, so we all know them, you know. So this is um, where you should go. And I was like, would Chapek go there, you know? And I understood that, yeah, my job was to understand what was missing there. What was, just to do another daily banger was stupid. Mm -hmm. What was important was to understand what was the, um, the question not answered yet. And what was not answered yet was to make a very, oh, so this is a prototype. So the colors are a bit like a, a kaleidoscope of colors, but uh, you see the thin bridges and the uh, um, definition of, uh, yeah, of yeah. the architecture yeah. of that watch. But it's that watch nice. is conceived as a sport watch. So you, mm -hmm. you, can, you can make it fall, it's going to, to, to react, even though it's got a lot of very thin, fine bridges that are made with a very strong uh, German silver. And so, but this architecture is really new to a sport watch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was our approach, which is to say, yeah, we understand that watch collectors, they love the watches as much for the, 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 the face as for the back. Mm -hmm. Let's give them what they've never had, which is a, an incredible uh, uh, movement for a sport watch. And that was our way to make a Chapek watch uh, in the sport segment. Then, of yeah. course... Yeah, I have to There's say, like, on the design to make yeah. it unique with the C, uh, with yeah, the double yeah. curves, yeah. etc. Yeah. So then, of course, the race is is the same. We we get crazy and and mad about all the uh, details and and make it very unique. But the main idea behind was horological erotism. We wanted to create a movement that was like lingerie, like embroidery. And that we could see without seeing everything, that we could see a lot and understand it. And Sounds that's, like music to my ears. Yeah. To, <laughs> to, I wanted my kid to love it without understanding what's making. And a watch lover being a very sharp collector to yeah. smile at it, you know. That's, mm -hmm. yeah. That was uh, the idea. Well, I have to say, yeah, I think the watch looks really, really good. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because, and I'm not saying it because you're here, because I think if you go to previous episodes, I've mentioned your watch as a as like an option because i think as a as a what you get for what you pay right for that watch and aesthetically how it looks like i think right now everybody in the last two years even the main brands have tried to come up with a uh a stainless steel sports watch blue dial or something like this right mm -hmm. and you know when you look at the you know the go-to like the ones at the top which are basically the nautilus and the royal oak you know a lot of that is you know you have to look at the bracelet you have to look at the case design um you got to look at the thickness of the watch 
And actually your C shape is actually quite distinctive. I know it's sim very simple and sometimes the best designs are simple, mm -hmm. but very often. Yeah, like there's no overcomplication. It looks so comfortable. It looks so smooth. Mm -hmm. It looks like it flows. But, you know, the design, there's no kind of break in the in the design where you think, oh, that looks a bit forced. But I also like how thin it is. And then generally, you know, everybody's tried to make a, you know, a, a circular shape dial like unique or something. And not many have succeeded. But I think, you know, your watch would be something. And then you, and like you say, combine the movement with it. I think it's a really good option to have. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I agree. I, I have to say, like what I'm about to say anyways, I know a lot of people are going to hate me, but I'm allowed to say this because I actually own these watches, right? Like <laughs> with AP, um, Royal Oak, right? And even with the Paddock World Time, right? It's really funny. Like sometimes I think about how we look at a watch. I'll use the World Time because it's a better example. And you turn it around and you say, ah, oh, the movement isn't great. Yeah. But then you try and justify why you got it. So you say, oh, but you didn't buy it for the movement, you bought it for the dial. So you say this about AP as well, like, oh, you didn't buy it for the movement, you bought it for the bracelet or something, right? But why should it be that you have to like give up something for something else? Compromise. Should, yeah, exactly. But we've gotten so used to being like, a sports watch should come with a mediocre movement. And I actually think this defines luxury really well because you're saying like, okay, there's no compromise. Like you don't have to give up a movement. It, it should be like a package so yeah it's just really nice to see this like this yeah it's a it's a very good way to answer your question about luxury mm -hmm. it's no compromise yeah and it's it's a mistake to to associate luxury with money mm -hmm. this is not money that is defining luxury what is defining luxury is that you have made no compromise in the process and in the end of course because you made no compromise it's expensive Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's not it's not illogically in a, in a mm -hmm. expense. Yeah, it's justified. It responds to what you have to the amount yeah. of work that you have mm -hmm. put in it, or the exclusivity that is behind it. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so I want to just go back to you know Chapek being a startup when you started it up. <clears throat> I read in an interview that you described a startup as the ultimate escape game. What were the most significant things you escaped from? What were the make or break moments for you that really stick in your mind? <laughs> One day, I work with my wife also, you know, she, she's in charge. Okay, of right the, there. Okay. <laughs> oh, man, I can't believe you said that's the first thing. <laughs> no, but I, because I will tell you a story. He, the, so she's, she's, she's behind the cash, you know, that's typically the thing that you want to do. Because you, you want to be sure that uh, she's not going to tell you when things are too bad, but she's going to tell it to you at the right moment, you know. And uh, and yeah, I heard her speaking on the phone and said, yeah, the first time you make a technical bankrupt, you don't sleep at night. But already on the second and third time, that's okay. You sleep very well. <laughs> so, so yeah, we went to these moments where you look at, you look at your balance sheet and you're like, shit. The, if I had to pay everyone today, mm -hmm. then I would run out of cash. So I would be technically bankrupt. Uh, but then you always find a solution because uh, the company is like a, a person walking. It's always in movement. It's when you stop that you die or that you fall, you know, but there is always an unbalance 
to create the movement of walking. And so this is, this is really what the company is about. And, uh, and I would say these were moments of, of make or break that were, that were difficult. I would say when we came to the first Basel world in, in March 2016, and we were hoping to take 75 watches in order. And it was the beginning of the crisis, you know, 20, the crisis started to hit in 2015 and 16, I was like uh, a first level of peak, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and we left Basel world with one order of one watch. Oh, wow. So that was tough, you know, 75 to survive one watch. You know? So we, well, we thought, you know, what can we do that we, we went after all our shareholders saying to them, why not buying a watch? You know, uh, you, you love the company, you invested it, you invested in it, it's time to buy a watch and they may place a, a few orders. And then they said, you know, we've got, we were married. So why don't you make a watch for our wife? So, so we made, we made the first women collection. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the Japanese who had been very, very present in our booth during Basel world, on July 23rd, you know, I even remember the date, just to tell you how important that was. On July 23rd, I was on the phone. It was the first day of the vacation for me. And I was on the phone with Norimishi. And he said, I said, look, these are my cards. I put my cards down. This is what I should never do in, in negotiation. And, and uh, this is uh, what, uh, what I can offer you. And he said, okay, we go for it. And this is my order. And we placed another of 12 watches plus another one that made 13 watches. We had 40 watches from the watch from the, the shareholders. We're over 50. And 50 was was my minimum, was my, my minimum to continue to have enough cash to, to, to continue the company. So that's when suddenly the company was saved. Then of course, when you're dynamic, dynamic, the dynamism brings success, you know. Success brings success, and the more dynamic you are, mm -hmm. the more opportunities you will get. So we we finished the year with eighty eight uh, watches ordered, and that was already a lot actually for a very young brand. And then we went to hundred oh eight, hundred forty three. So that was that was a, a rhythm that was slow but going high, and that was I would say the the first big moment with then the the two or three. Uh, technical bankruptcy we we had to go through in in 2016 17 18 or something like that yeah. that defined us mm -hmm. i would say to finish the story of the big make or break moment or uh, uh, questions where life death question uh, was in march the last one was in march 2020 uh, during uh, the beginning of the pandemic the beginning for us huh? We were hit about three months later after after you. Um, suddenly, everything was shut down mm -hmm. in Switzerland from one day to another. Uh, and we were like, what do we do? You know, mm -hmm. do we uh, shut down everything, stop, wait and see? Or do we continue uh, like crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I made phone calls to the to the different board members and uh, and we decided to go for it you know and that's and that was the right decision one of them told me you know fortune favor the brave 
Mm. Because if you're dynamic, mm. the day the business will restart, mm -hmm. you will be in the first position. And you will be better positioned than all the guys who are going to stop. Mm -hmm. So you should go for it. And we went for it like crazy because it was requiring much more energy to get things to move. Mm. Because every, as everything was closed, I mean, in all the small companies uh, with whom we are working, you know, uh, AB product with Aurélien, Aurélien was open, uh, sometimes only alone in his company, you know, just doing a few things. <laughs> But he was always keeping it open. And all the, the entrepreneurs, the small entrepreneurs, were keeping their business open to get things moving. Mm -hmm. The larger companies were closing. Mm -hmm. And we were slowed down a lot. I became a runner, <laughs> I became a, a driver of, <laughs> of, of components from one place to another. So I've got funny pictures of me uh, driving at sunset or, or, uh, or sunrise to try to get things moving. Mm -hmm. uh, it slowed down a lot our, our pro prototyping pro step. Mm -hmm. We launched a watch with only the gear train tested and not even the automatic tested. Mm -hmm. So we were like uh, with nothing. But the day we launched, no one was launching a product that day. Mm. It was May 26, 2020. We got a huge attention mm -hmm. and we sold the 100 watches in 17 days instead of mm. 40 days that we had planned. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of a, of a of a rolling ball of snow, you know, that is mm. growing at every turn. Mm. And uh, so you see that this shareholder, this uh, board member and shareholder was right. When you are dynamic, then you you create a positioning that is more interesting for you than if you are waiting for the opportunity. Mm -hmm. you, know? you should be always be hunting that opportunity. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before we move on, I, I don't know if you know, yeah, because you're talking about like your wife being in charge of cash, right? I don't know, Long Long knows what's coming, but like Long Long is actually the, like the phonetic sound of the Chinese character for cash. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So oh, okay. she, she's, yeah. she's not just one cash, I'm like she's like two caches. <laughs> So, you know, I've been knocking on that door for many years, but she just keeps rejecting me, you know, because I just think if you, if you get in there, you know, you're just going to be rolling in cash. Um, don't worry. Like, I'm a very persistent guy and your story has uh, given me more courage. Yeah. yeah, motivated me to keep banging and to, to you know, fortune favors the bold. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Like also if fortune favors the thick skinned. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I'm <laughs> but I want to move on after that yeah. little joke. I was I was hoping you were going to ask Lung Lung for for marriage right now. <laughs> no, I do, I do, I do, I'll do. I'll leave that to later. I don't want to ruin the fact that you know you signed the contract. This is, today. Going, this is going to be an historical podcast. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask because we're rounding off the main interview now, um, and I just we like to be transparent in this like podcast. Um, your watches, you know, the manufacture of them, in-house, non-in-house, what are they? So uh, the uh, SXS5 is in-house. Uh, when we say in-house, it means we design everything from a blank sheet of paper and uh, we use and produce the components, but we make them produced by experts, okay? So we work with guys who are 
working for aerospace uh, medical device and watchmaking. There are a few of these inside the uh, uh, La Chaux-de-Fonds, Le Locle Valley, which are really the best of the best. They have a precision of one, two, maybe three microns. And this is really essential for reliability. So we go after these guys who have the best technique to produce the components, and then we assemble. But they produce our components according to our plans. Okay, so it's really not something that is... Uh, uh, okay. Uh, because we work with them because we like to work with other people. We like collaboration and we don't pretend to be suddenly capable to produce that level of quality that they are doing. And they, mm -hmm. I mean, and the plate is big enough for everyone. So, you know, yeah. let's, let's keep that spirit that has been always in watchmaking to have yeah. a lot of yeah. different companies collaborating into making mm -hmm. a watch. Now, so, yeah. when, when we go to the other models, so the first two models where, yeah, it's our movement made by Cronod for us. So it's what we call a proprietary movement. We don't call it an in-house movement because the design has been made by, by Xavier Clément with the help of Bertrand, with the help of Christophe, of, Christophe, of Jean-François Mojon. You know, and we work with them very, very close. That's why we get to, to this level of of quality and, and also fraternity in the work. And, uh, but, and that's why it's our movement too, because we are involved in what we, in what, in the final results, but they designed for us, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, there is a third category, which is the, the chrono, uh, the Faubourg de Cracovie, that has been created by Vaucher, and that was launched commercially to, an external brand to uh, with us, so they created it. They they did the chrono with uh, with with Parmigiani, and then they they came to us saying, "We know you look for uh, a movement. We have a movement that has not been launched. Would you like to be the first brand to have it and to have a, a sort of a, a pre not not ownership on it, but to be the one defining it?" No. And this is what we what we did with them uh, for, and then you define the final execution of it. That's what you do. So you don't redefine the movement, but you define the way it is executed. So this would be a, a movement made for us and exclusive to us in its execution. Okay. And and how many how many pieces is Chapek manufacturing now a year? Are you allowed to disclose that? Like roughly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's changing all the time, you know. So. Mm -hmm. It's, it was like this, you know, so very slow, very slow, very slow, and then boom. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. Like in the graph, you know, you make business plans who are going like this, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, that doesn't work. Does not happen. This is uh, uh, bullshit. As many <laughs> business plans, but it's okay. You just need to sit down and try to do your best imagining uh, what should be the future. But the future is never what you imagine exactly. So, we were doing on average 150 watches a year. That was our average until uh, the end of 2020. In 2021, last year, we tried to make 400 watches and we made 300, mm -hmm. which was already twice more than last year. And this year, we are trying to make 800 watches and we will make 
six to seven hundred seventy. Oh wow, seven hundred fifty. Oh, okay. That's quite an increase in capacity. Yeah. That is. Yeah. Yeah. And we and we will continue next year. The next year we'll do a thousand five hundred, and then probably again the double for the following year, and then we will stop. Mm. Okay. We will stop because we don't we we don't want to be too present everywhere. Mm-hmm. We, okay. Today, we have a, an order book of 2,800 watches. That's why we, we closed it, okay? Yeah, I so, saw, yeah. It's too I many watches. Yeah. It's yeah. too many watches. We closed the Antarctic, this one, where yeah. really we had too much demand. And yeah. now, what we want is to deliver everyone between this year and next year. That's why we, we plan so much increase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for the following year, years to try to uh, canalize this uh, quantity. But you know, in, in China, we were present in Beijing only, you know, mm-hmm. in, uh, in Yishi Salon, sorry, uh, in Yishi Salon. So it's only one point of sale and that's it, you know. Uh, we're in Hong Kong in one, two point of sales. They don't have watches to, to show because they are sold immediately. Mm-hmm. So we understand that the day um, some people inside mainland China will will want to have a chapek. We will have to have more quantity. That's why we need to go to probably three thousand. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to be uh, omnipresent in the world. We want to be uh, very exclusive and and rare uh, to find. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. So my last question of the main interview is, you know. By the sounds of your answer, last answer, you know, Chapik is doing really well on it and, and on its like way to, you know, real success. But, you know, it has come at a price to your health, you know, like you still continue. You, you've, you've basically come back from the dead because like, I hope yeah. you don't mind me saying that, but, you know, that's basically what you told me. Um, and you're still, you know, at a time where you probably was ref- doing a lot of reflection you're still going at it like as hard as you can. Can you tell us what that experience was like and what did you learn from that and what makes you continue? Um, so yeah, effectively I was, uh, I was in agony uh, uh, between the night of uh, January 11 to 12 and I was saved by 30 minutes. So uh, after an aortic dissection. So it's, most, it's maybe the most or one of the most a dangerous cardiovascular accident you can have. Um, and I got no sequel or very limited sequels out of, out of that. Um, but you know, the human being is, is made to be active. Mm-hmm. It's the best cure, mm-hmm. okay, to be active. So yes, I decided to not work as much as I was doing that because I paid very hard the price of the, of the pandemic mm-hmm. by working so hard to save the company. I was working seven days a week. I don't know the number of hours I was throwing in my week, but it was insane. It was day and night every day without stopping. And uh, so that's, that's not good. That's too, that's, that's too strong. Um, but you uh, appreciate life also because it's a second life for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to waste it. I want to use it nicely. I want to use it by doing a fantastic job, but taking care of my family and my kids at the same time, balancing much better the things. 
and putting in perspective sometimes things that I I receive I uh, I'm confronted to. So I know I don't think you need to go through through death and back from mm -hmm. the dead uh, to to decide that. Some people are wiser than me. Yeah, I'll just take your word that. for it. <laughs> yeah, some, I need to be hit to realize it maybe, uh, or simply I I knew. I saw that, that the company was requiring that because we were too fragile. Mm -hmm. And when I spoke about this March 2020 decision, it was a life or death decision when we decided to go forward. I'm convinced we would have not have survived if we had stopped mm -hmm. because if we were in a momentum and we'd have lost the momentum and then it would have been always after that. So very difficult. So yeah, I mean, the company was saved and I learned uh, a big thing and now I'm recovering, but I will not recover any everything, which is also a way to learn because what is it to be a, a human? Uh, what is it to have limitations, you know? Mm -hmm. You have to learn to like your own limitations, mm -hmm. but, uh, but it's good also because it frees you from a lot of, from a lot of other problems. Like suddenly focusing on what is essential in life. Mm. Okay. Mm. I think that's a really great way to end the main interview. And it was a, a pleasure to, to hear your answers on that, Xavier. Yeah. So we now move on to the reverso round. So I know you've prepared some questions for us. I hope they're kind. Please, yeah. uh, please go they're for kind. it. Yeah. They're kind. So, so I, yeah, I, had, I have three questions, but I don't know in which order I should... Uh, I should uh, I should ask you. So I'm gonna ask them, and you're gonna you're gonna choose who answers. Sure. Okay. Okay. So so the first question is is the dream watch. What would be your dream watch? I know it's a classic question, but it's a it's a cool question too because you can imagine whatever you want. There is no bad, good or bad answer there. Okay, uh, I'll go first. Okay, go. So. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take that question so you don't have to, because you can just take another yeah, question. Because it's like, oh, I have so many. Yeah, questions. so, yeah. like, if I had to make the, uh, yeah, like the watch I would want, I can tell you what I'd like in it, but I couldn't tell you maybe what it looked like. So I know what's important. Mm. I, I actually like, uh, the finishing has to be at the top, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, okay, well, then we go to what type of finishing? I personally really like, you know, that dramatic finishing of Dufour or Recep Recepi, you know, that kind of finishing on the back. So it needs to have that standard. I don't like buying a watch where everything is great, but the movement doesn't look that great. Yeah, I don't feel that good about it. I would like the watch to be unique in some way. And, you know, Long Long mentioned the world time. Every enamel thing, you know, is basically unique. There's, that's one way you can incorporate it. I don't like it when it's forced unique. What I mean by that is I've etched it myself and it says unique piece, you know, <laughs> or like it says Daniel's. I don't like that. I like it more artistically done. Okay. I would also like something, nothing like fancy in terms of nothing revolutionary in terms of case design or bracelet design, you know, like I, I still like tradition, you know, in my in my watches because you know we don't need watches now and a lot of that that i love about watches is that whole history you know that mankind has you know dedicated so much to time itself 
Um, and yeah, that those are the key things. And when I talk about finishing as well, it's really key that the dial has all the hand finishing as well. And I think if you listen to my answer, I haven't really said anything about complications. No. So it, I don't think that necessarily goes into what I want. I could never pick one complication. It's too impossible to pick like one complication that I would just love to have, right? So I could even potentially settle for a three-hander if everything that had those elements mm. was in that watch. So I don't know. Yeah, does that answer? I think that's quite a good answer. That's a good answer. I, I, I even got your watch in my mind now. Uh, All right. It's very okay. funny. It's very funny uh, the things uh, the way they are. Uh, imagine a, a watch with a with a complete application that has been simplified, and actually, I won't tell the name. But two brothers last Wednesday, so two days ago, uh, they are they are the son of a very famous uh, watch uh, maker, watch conceptor, and uh, they came to me saying, "Why don't we do that together?" So, and that complication would perfectly fit you. So it's too early to say anything because after I would, I would kind of commit myself and it's too early because we have not gone into. Yeah. I, I always like uh, subtlety in my watches, but, right. But and I always but like subtlety. To, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I never like anything in, in your face. Like one of my favorite complications, just to on top of my mind, now, now we're talking about it, is jumping seconds. Yeah. I love how the discreetness, but the, the, the technical expertise involved in that is just fantastic. Yeah. Like, as you French, yeah. voila, you know, like boom. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so, your second question. So, the second question then is for Lang Lang. Mm. It's uh, the dream not yet fulfilled. Oh, Whoa. that is hard. Uh, definitely piece unique, but not with a big brand. I used it's to not necessarily a watch, huh? Yeah, the dream oh. not yet fulfilled. Okay, then 100%. I'm really clear about this. I want to, uh, I've always said this, even if you go back to like the very early episodes, I want to um, give back, but very specifically education and education for women. Um, but I have never pinpointed exactly like which geography I would do this and how I would execute it. But I just know it doesn't have to be a big scale, but it needs to be able, like, I just want to fund people's education, but women. So this is something I haven't done. So this okay. is always in the back of my head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So giving back through education to women. Yeah. Excellent. That's nice. Now it's a nice dream to have. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. the chance when I, uh, um, when I was unemployed is that I could become a teacher mm. uh, and uh, it's not it's I only teach twice a year uh, two days uh, one in the spring one in the fall uh, but I really love it and I tell the students you know I, the person that is going to learn the most out of everyone it's me yeah out of the teaching and on top of that I'm paid you know so yeah, it's really unfair it's but uh, they love yeah they love and uh, and I think yeah, it's a very uh, it's an incredible experience to mm -hmm. yeah, it's a privilege teach. to teach somebody it's, yeah mm -hmm. it's demanding, it's, uh, it's demanding. yeah it's, it's something nice. that is very important you know if someone gives you that power to teach them you know it, you should treat it with uh, respect yeah mm -hmm. 
Okay. Your last question. So the last question is for you, Daniel. I'm sorry. I didn't agree to that. The, yeah. the most yeah. embarrassing situation. Yes. Oh, that is still okay. Oh, that is the worst. But there's so many. Like this podcast will <laughs> never end. So many. Like talk about the time on the <laughs> on the train when you were staring at a girl. <laughs> uh, both it's a really bad one. It's hard uh, because he never gets embarrassed about anything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's you see. Yeah, I yeah. don't really get embarrassed. I just laugh at myself. So. So the we most said, embarrassing moment, yeah, is getting uh, like kicked off Zoom, right, for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, we thought we saw the internet came to save you. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. It did. Yeah, it did. Anyway, so so now the reverso round's finished, right? Uh-huh. We're gonna go on to the last round, which yeah. is the pump pusher round, Xavier. So just uh, a few questions. Not really watch related, maybe watch related, but just something to, you know, just break the ice and the seriousness of this interview. So number one, what is the worst job to have in the watch industry? I think to probably to be a driver, uh, <laughs> moving components from one place to another yeah. when you are not the CEO of the company. Yeah. When you're okay. the CEO, at least, at least it makes sense to do it. Probably that's the worst, yeah. uh, the worst yeah. job. Okay. What was your favorite toy when you were a child? Hmm. A good question. I don't have because child is young. Uh, as a as a teenager, I remember, but as a child, I th- okay. I remember. I remember that I liked a lot to be costumed. So <laughs> I will. I will say that I had a. I had a. The hat of a of an Indian chief, you know, like that. <laughs> and I was loving, loving to wear my Indian chief hat and oh. go playing in the trees uh, with my with my bow. I still I was still shooting with a bow uh, last year before my accident. So that's one of my objective is to to shoot again with a bow. So I love okay. that. So that's uh, the, the 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 so it would be the bow and the and the arrows would be the my favorite uh, uh, game uh, or as a child. Okay, next one. One thing you'll always find in your fridge. Jeez. Yes, I knew it. Jeez. French, come on. <laughs> any, any, any particular type of cheese? <laughs> no, and exactly that's the point. No particular type. Every okay. time it will be a surprise. But, right. but I have to say, for sure you will find some... Uh, some uh, Parmesan, Parmesan, because we have a long, a long, uh, uh, loving uh, relationship uh, with Italy. So you 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 will find an Italian cheese and a French cheese uh, together, okay. loving each other. Finally, right. Next one, one brand that isn't yours, that isn't Chapek, that you'd like to own a watch from personally. Uh, okay, so. I'm influenced by you because, for example, I immediately thought about the True Beat uh, a second from Arnold and Son. Uh, that is a very cool watch, uh, just because you were speaking about uh, uh, the, the dead second uh, uh, competition. Second. That's, uh, I think, I think the perpetual calendar from MBNF mm-hmm. uh, from ah, Max yeah. okay. would be my, my, my dream watch, yeah. I think that, okay. Uh, yeah, 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 I think this one, yeah. 
difficult gets under the skin. Yeah. Right. The best gift you have ever received. The best gift I have ever received. 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 Uh, again, oh, as a child, as an adult, as what? No, ever. Ever. You know, it's funny what comes to my mind is a gift that I didn't particularly liked when I received it. And I let it in, a, in the bottom of a, of a closet. It was a bag to travel. It was a travel bag. And uh, I rediscovered it. And I rediscovered it at the beginning of Chapek, by the way. And I started to travel all the time with that bag. And uh, for me, now it's destroyed. It's gone. It's, uh, it's finished. But for me, that bag was like my, my companion when I was traveling. And it was, and I liked it also because I did not like it at the beginning. <laughs> Because life is like this, you know, mm-hmm. we change. Mm-hmm. We're not always the same. Mm-hmm. We, we, some, we don't want to recognize that. We don't want to recognize ah, that. Yeah. In 10 years, if I ask you a very stringent question, a very difficult question about relationship or things like that, you're going to answer something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you, yeah. and you're like, no, it's not possible. But when you really read uh, psychological books, like Daniel Kahneman or, mm. or or guys like this, there are studies of that really clearly. You know, they pick up three thousand people, ask them one or a set of questions that are difficult, and ask them again ten years later, and not only the guys answer differently, they refuse to recognize that ten years before they were answering, they were answering what they were answering, and they, they had to film it to tell again, you know, show, and they said, no, it's not possible, it's not me. So mm-hmm. I like that idea that we are not fully conscious of what's happening around us and that we need to be awakened to improve our consciousness of Mm. what's around. Mm. Okay, next one. The hardest moment in your life so far. Yeah, but that was was January 11. Okay. January 11 11 was really really tough. The funny thing about it is that uh, I had a pre-death experience it's not fun at all. Yeah, the people who are selling that as, you know, light coming in mm-hmm, and things like that. Mm-hmm. No, 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 mm-hmm. no, no. That was not fun at all, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I was feeling really, I was sleeping into agile, trying to, to escape. And, and I was desperately falling into the dark. And, uh, and, I, and I thought, it's funny, if I was dying, I wouldn't be surprised that people feel that. But I'm not dying. So why am I feeling that? Mm. And I was refusing to recognize that I was dying, you know, because also to not scare me, the doctor said to me, don't worry, the helicopter is coming. It's going to bring you to a a bigger hospital. Everything will be fine. You know, they're very nice (laughs) to you, you know. So you you believe them, you know. Yeah, everything will be fine. Yeah, because they know if they tell you the truth, you freak out and you probably won't be fine, you know? So yeah, next time if that you, happens, I'm going to tell them. You I say, you're only lying to me. Yeah, you're lying to me. I'm sank. I'm very grateful they lied to me, honestly. Uh, but then, uh, so, so yeah, that was, a, that was an incredible, incredible moment. Yeah. To, okay. To be in agony. Okay. Uh, the last thing you bought and loved. Mm-hmm. So I tend to buy watches that I give. Okay. So it's difficult for me because it's a, it's a passing love, you know? Um, so the thing that I keep, 
would be a land very beautiful jacket, very nice jacket. That would be my answer. Maybe okay. the two classic and answer. And the snowboard, of course. The last snowboard I bought. I have too many of these. That's, okay. That would be, uh, that would be uh, yeah, the snowboard would be probably uh, probably the best answer. All right. And the last question, um, considering, you know, things pass through your hands, you know, you buy it for other people. What's the next thing you are looking to purchase for yourself? A bow. Mm. A bow. A bow. That's nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because, because I don't have the same, because I'm open right now here. Mm -hmm. So I cannot, I cannot have the same, the same uh, um, attention, the same mm -hmm. talk on the bow. I need a lighter bow. So uh, this is a, the next thing I'm looking uh, forward to buy. So you see, I'm back to become a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go back to you go back to working for Mars. I now. never, I never really stopped actually, but uh, you know. Yeah, it's actually you know through this interview, I think this is you know one of the longest times I've sat down and spoken to you. I actually do kind of see the child in you. You know, it, I always feel like it in almost that mischievous uh kid inside you never left the more yeah. the the more you become a daedale the more you understand what's happening around you the more you like your childhood and the more you reconnect to your own childhood mm -hmm. i was lucky because i had a happy childhood so this is really what i wish to everyone and that's not always possible for everyone but when you had a happy childhood then you really built yourself freely and that's really what's what's important I think that was a really great way to say how immature you are. I'm definitely going to use that excuse like next time when people say you're so immature, Daniel, I'm just going to say exactly what you just I, I said. Can, makes me can, sound so Swiss and so classy. I can even make immature sound intelligent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I've got like, I'm a philosopher now. <laughs> but um, yeah, we've come to the end of the podcast and it's been a real pleasure interviewing you, uh, Xavier. Um learned a lot and um, yeah, had a great insight into Chapek the brand. It was really, you know, it was really fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I did. I did. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, like, you know, in light of your health situation, we wish you a speedy recovery. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. And hopefully, you know, in the future, we'll have you on again sometime. Thanks right? a lot. All right. Thanks. So um, that's it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, see you on the next one. Bye. All right. Bye. Take care. Thanks for the interview. It was great. It was a great moment together. A fantastic way to finish the week. Thank All you. right. Bye. Take care. Have a great night. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.